As a Beyond the Bubble listener, you know Democrats had some issues after 2016. It is entirely possible that Donald Trump is truly redrawing the map the way that he said he was going to. The scene here is so different than it was a few hours ago. Democrats have lost majorities in the House and Senate, have barely a dozen governors, and lost more than a thousand state legislative seats. CNN projects that Democrats will reclaim control of the U.S. House of Representatives winning new power. And even if the 2018 races help them make up some ground. Thanks to you, tomorrow will be a new day in America. Some deep structural problems persist. Now, over the next five days of this special Beyond the Bubble series, we'll look at where the party goes next. Because a grassroots movement of progressives have surged forward. It was evident in many of the new quote-unquote resistance groups that have materialized. To the women's march was like waking up from a nightmare to find that the monster was real, but all your friends were there with sticks and torches and unflattering hats to beat back the darkness. And in the seemingly thousands of candidates who stepped forward to run for office in the last two years. Democrat Stacey Abrams and Republican Brian Kemp are in a tight race to replace incumbent Republican Governor Nathan Deal. Andrew Gillum is the mayor of Tallahassee, and he is now Florida's first African-American nominee for governor in a major party. Of course, the influx of energy hasn't always been neat or tidy. In the case of candidates like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, it's meant that longtime Democratic incumbents have lost their jobs. Democratic Congressman Joe Crowley is on the verge of being turfed out tonight. Rachel, this is one. We saw these numbers start coming in. We couldn't believe it. We checked. We reloaded. This is a seismic political upset. This is a party boss being challenged by a 28-year-old member of the Democratic Socialists of America. That's what brings us to Carrie Evelyn Harris. Good to see you again. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Hi. The former Democratic Senate candidate is a 38-year-old openly gay, biracial woman who for the past few years has worked as a full-time community organizer. I met with Carrie in September at the National Portrait Gallery, a sprawling museum in the heart of Washington that houses the official and often magisterial portraits of the American presidents. You see in his eyes, right? You see his stature is bold and sure, but his eyes are very reflective. She and I eventually made our way to a life-size painting of the nation's first leader, George Washington. Now, Carrie says she was taught to study portraits long and carefully and avoid jumping to quick conclusions. But gazing at Washington, she couldn't help but offer a personal reaction. Similar to what I'm saying, there's change on the horizon. There's certainty in the fact that it has to happen. There's even a rainbow, which I don't know when this was painted. Who would have thought the right? Who would have thought that rainbow would be there? You've got a good eye. You're, you weren't you weren't kidding about that. I would never have noticed that. Yeah. I would imagine with the gesturing of "Come, we can do this together." There's change coming. There's a need for it. It's reflective of the campaign we just ran. When I'm sitting in my own thoughts, I have those same eyes of certainty. But you have a concern for the people that you're leading and making sure you're doing it correctly. Harris didn't win her late summer primary against incumbent Tom Carper. She didn't even come all that close. The establishment might have won tonight, but they know we have awoken. Even if you haven't heard of her yet, her candidacy, one that talked openly about canceling student debt, abolishing ICE, and the corrupting influence of money, is a perfect microcosm of the larger movement already bubbling within the Democratic Party. The people of Delaware now know that 2018 is just our starting block, and 2020, 2024, going over and over every election cycle, we're taking over. 
Over the course of these next five special episodes of Beyond the Bubble, we'll explore how far Harris and her allies will go, how successful they might be, and what that means for the future of the Democratic Party. We'll take a deep look at the party's new platform, whether there's room for the old guard, how it incorporates people of color, and even how the changes reflect on the legacy of Barack Obama. The status quo pushes back because that helps them maintain the status quo. Today, we're going to have a conversation with Harris to understand why she's intent on redefining her party for a new generation and why so many of the activists like her aren't happy with its current leadership. I'm Alex Rorty. This is The Democrats' Way Back, according to a new wave of grassroots Democrats. Eddie Murphy is back. I had first met Carrie in early September, a few days before her primary against the Democratic incumbent Tom Carper. She was incredibly personable then, even joking with me about an old and mostly forgotten Eddie Murphy movie called The Golden Child. This child is special, Mr. Giraud. His destiny is to save the world. And it's your destiny to seek some serious psychiatric help. At the time, it was pretty clear Carrie wasn't going to win. But what struck me when we met again about a month later was how little her message had changed despite her defeat. If anything, she was even bolder about the future. When we had talked before, you had really made the point to me that 2018 is just the beginning. Yes. What did you mean by that? Statewide races, we're still getting our footing from campaigns that do not take corporate money. We're learning how to work our districts in a way that we're winning, uh, so it will affect state houses and local elections quicker. Um, Every single time we push through an election cycle, we're going to learn more and more, which is going to create a change that is, as I've always said, lasting and positive, right? You're talking about a big change. That's what you see on the horizon. It's a a huge change. change, yes. We had this fight to make sure that we were an independent country because we did not want to be ruled over by others. We wanted to make it clear that everybody was independent and able to um, care for themselves and their communities. They say that everybody should have an opportunity, but the opportunity isn't necessarily there. They say that uh, we should be able to speak for ourselves and create our own laws, and yet there's this idea that unless you can mark certain boxes, you can't even begin to think that you should have the opportunity to serve in such as the halls of Congress. What boxes are those? Um, Ivy League schools. Making sure you're a pipeline, what I call a pipeline, politician, making it clear that there was only a certain type of experience that made it so that some felt that you were worthy of serving your state and your nation, right? My campaign and others such as mine are showing that experience is necessary, but diversity and experience is even more necessary. If we have all of the same type of people looking through the same lenses, we're going to get the same type of legislation. I truly believe that's what what got us here. It's part of the reason why we even had the revolution in the first place. There was the idea that colony after colony would serve the home nation of Great Britain, and we realized that's not okay. It's not okay for those who work and struggle to not reap the fruits of their labor, hence a revolution. Now we're having another revolution that... I don't believe we'll have to be turned violent, but it's definitely intellectual and pushing the point that we all should have the ability to serve ourselves. When Harris and I spoke at the portrait gallery, I was struck by something she told me. We will do this! The night of her defeat in September, the night of, she told her staff they would be reconvening at 1 p.m. the next afternoon to talk about next steps. This is what democracy looks like. Choose it. We choose change tomorrow. 
We fight and fight and fight. We win some, we lose some, but we know that you can never quit, right? And it's the same thing. Issue campaign after issue campaign, win or lose, the next day we get up and figure out how we're going to move the community. It's no different with this campaign. And I knew that if we did not make sure that everyone that was so fired up wasn't kept engaged, that we will have just perpetuated the cycle of people not believing in this democracy, right? And um, it's crazy because... I knew I had to do it right away. I knew the team had to participate, but I had so many calls and emails um, from volunteers, from people I had never even met saying, we have to keep it going. You know, the, the change that happened, they wanted momentum. She was in New York a week later, helping progressive candidates in the state's primaries. That is, to put it mildly, unusual for a losing candidate many of them disappear from public view after an exhausting campaign. It's going to be a, a long road, but it's going to be shorter than we think because we're staying involved. And it takes modeling. If I say that we have to stay engaged, but I'm not engaged myself because I need a break to go to the beach, uh, then I'm not modeling what I feel is necessary to create that change. And so It's important to know that the Democratic Party isn't suddenly going to become Carrie Evelyn Harris overnight or in 2020. There's still a lot of resistance to ideas like abolishing ICE out there. In fact, it might not even become like Harris ever. But who she is, what she talks about, and how she talks about it all represent at least the direction that the party is headed. We're realizing that we sat quietly for too long and we assumed that other people would handle what needed to be done to make sure our communities were doing better. Mm -hmm. We realized that that was incorrect. We realized Take out Harris talks about money. The powers that be in the party have it and she and her allies don't. It's at the heart of what she considers the distortion for Democrats, the thing that keeps actual rank-and-file members of the party from having their voices heard. When the Democratic Party has come on record to say they expect four hours a day from their elected officials to do fundraising with wealthy donors, it clouds their, their vision of what is really needed, right? So if you're living in a, a bubble of wealth, of influence. You don't know what it is to live in the real world, right? Even when you have the best intentions. And that is, that's a major problem. You don't step outside of it. And they've all kind of drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, thinking that you have to have millions of dollars to win a campaign, not understanding that now races like mine change what viability of a candidate means. And that means not millions of dollars, but hundreds of people, thousands of people believing and working to making sure the campaign is successful. We are supposed to be led by the people. And if you have been a career politician and only can see through one lens, then it's time for you to go because we have the answers. You would say, I take it that there is a sort of caution for someone like, let's say Tom Carper, that really isn't emblematic of how a lot of Democrats or liberals think right. uh, their, their politics right now. Is that, right. is that fair? Yeah, so to me, it's a fear of change. It's a fear of we're lacking the leadership that is necessary to take on bold change, bold ideas that are necessary for our communities. Carrie's most controversial opinion is probably her support for abolishing the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, known as ICE. It's a proposal that even some left-leaning immigration advocates say makes for bad politics and it's one you're going to hear about more later on in this series. So you think of Abolish ICE, people will allow certain Republicans to lead the narrative, meaning saying, oh, we just want to open up borders and let everybody flow in. That's not the case. But Carrie's support for getting rid of the government agency, maybe more than anything else, explains her different approach to politics. 
every person who is a member of the immigrant population that I've spoken to will agree with me that we need, and has agreed with me, that we need some type of immigration process. But you don't need something that's inhumane. You don't need something that tarnishes the image of America, that makes us less safe. Why, why do you think Democrats are afraid of that? Because we're really bad at messaging as a party, right? Mm-hmm. And it's easier a self-fear than a solution. And so they don't, in my opinion, don't take the time to figure out how to explain to people why it makes more sense. We have less than, what is it like, 5% of people who are arrested for any type of crime are undocumented citizens, right? Of that, then, then violent crime is even less. And so we're spending tons of money hunting human beings who really aren't doing anything but providing to our economy. We're then turning around and setting up things such as these tent cities, which are expensive. When we're talking about we want to educate our children properly, when we're saying we need infrastructure in Delaware, we need to make sure that there's high-speed internet so we can encourage business to come because our children are fleeing, they get educated, and there's no industry. We have to get rid of a system that doesn't work. We can't say we can fix it because we've tried, and each time it doesn't work. So get rid of it. Go to customs control as we had before. Make sure to strengthen our borders. We use more surveillance, which actually keeps our border patrol agents safer. Um, And then we can have more money in our system. I'm trying to boil this down at its core. What you're saying is that the average rank and file Democrat, there is just a big disconnect with who they are, how much wealth they have, how they see politics, and the party that purports to represent them. Yes. And you're here to bridge that gap. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm not saying that there's not room for the uh, career politician there is, right? But I've said time and time again, there's room for the teacher to leave the halls, their classroom and stand in the halls of Congress, the retail worker, the organizer, all of us need to be there to write this legislation. There's one last point Harris wants to make, and it's an important one because you're going to hear a lot about it in the upcoming 2020 primary. These sort of Democrats really don't like Trump. But they also really don't think he's the root of the problem in this country. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he gave us a magnifying glass. But the truth is, it was already there. Trump wouldn't have gotten elected if this wasn't already happening. Even my supporters get mad at me when I say this, but not every Trump supporter is a racist bigot, right? And I know that because I have family members that are Trump supporters and voters. Thing is, is that we have different lenses because of the way we were raised, because I have blonde hair, blue eyed, beautiful male cousins who have no real idea what it's like to struggle as a minority in America, regardless of your socioeconomic background, right? They see that now they're starting to struggle more. And so Trump gave an opportunity. Afterwards, they're like, whoa, we might have made a mistake, right? But if everybody attacks them, then they're going to feel like they have to defend their vote. I'm not going to put my cousins or anybody else on the defensive. I'm going to make it clear that we have to work together. And that has made all of the difference. That's why we had so many Republicans on the campaign fighting with us, because they realized there was a connection. And that's what we have to do to change things. It's more conciliatory than I think people would expect. Absolutely. That's all good and well, but not everyone thinks Democrats should work with Republicans. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you were going to say something like, well, we just need to collect all the guns. Oh, sure. I mean, like, we could do that, too. (laughs) On part two of our Democrats Way Back project, we'll dive deeper into the actual policies activist Democrats want to see, including controversial ideas from Sean McElwee, the man behind the Abolish ICE movement. Current college debt. I'll cancel it. Just, Just get rid of it. Yeah. 
flick of the wand. Like statehood for Puerto Rico or DC, I take oh, it. You're being uh, a centrist. Bring in Guam. <laughs> Honestly, I... Thanks very much to Carrie Evelyn Harris for joining me here. And thanks to Jordan Marie Smith and Davin Coburn for producing this special episode of Beyond the Bubble. Leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Alex Rorty, and you can reach me anytime at A-R-O-A-R-T-Y at McClatchyDC.com. We'll see you tomorrow.